Welcome to Sports Talk with Tonsoni, the Indiana Baseball Edition. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni, and along with Chris Feeney, Josh Bennett, Cassidy Palmer, and Carl James, we will be bringing you information on Indiana baseball. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to Talking Hoosier Baseball. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni, and what a week the Hoosiers had. Another 4-0 week, uh, sweeping the weekend series against Northwestern. And and we'll go through these games here real quick for you. The midweek game against Indiana State, the Hoosiers cruised to a 6-1 victory. They scored five runs in their last three at-bats, breaking open a very close game. Tim Heron got the start on the mound. He only gave up uh, one run. Tommy Summer got the win. He pitched the sixth, and B.J. Sable came on for three solid innings, uh, getting the save without giving up a run. The offense was led by multi-hit efforts by Matt Gorski and Justin Walker, who broke the game open with his tie-breaking two-run double, and it was good to see Jeremy Houston had a two-run triple in the game as well. Moving to the weekend, three-game set, doubleheader played on Friday due to the weather. Uh, the Hoosiers defeated the Wildcats 12 to nothing in the opening game behind an excellent pitching effort by Jonathan Stever. He went seven scoreless innings. Grant Sloan came on to finish off the Wildcats with two scoreless innings. Matt Lloyd, again, loves to hit against Northwestern, hitting two towering home runs. Also homering were Ryan Finman and Matt Gorski. Lloyd had four RBIs. Feynman and Gorski added three RBIs each. Sowers, Logan Sowers, Drew Ashley, Scotty Bradley, and Jeremy Houston had two hits on the game. Game two was a different kind of game. In one of the most exciting games of the year, IU won in a comeback fashion, scoring five runs with two outs in the bottom of the eighth to win the game. A tough game through seven innings saw Northwestern plate two runs, and IU could not find a key hit, often stranding runners on base. But Pauly Milto battled all day and kept us close going seven innings, and in the bottom of the eighth, Jeremy Houston hit a shot on the ground out of the reach of the second baseman to score uh, the two runs that tied the game, Logan Kalitha followed with a game-winning two-RBI single to right. Cal Kruger on in relief picked up his seventh win on the season. And so game three, going for the sweep, the Hoosiers scored crooked numbers in seven of the eight at-bats in garnering a 22-1 to win on Sunday. The game was never in doubt. Cam Beecham picked up the win to go 4-0 and on the season. Uh, he went five innings, striking out six. Brian Hobby, Andrew Salfrank, and Connor Manis pitched in relief. Eight Hoosiers had multi-hit games for a total of 21 hits. Jeremy Houston led the attack with three hits. Again, good for Jeremy. Sam Crail, Lauren Eustace, Sowers, Kalitha, Ashley, Gorski, Bradley. All of those dudes had two hits on the day. Sowers and Bradley went deep, as did Wyatt Cross for his first IU home run. And Indiana sweeps the Northwestern Wildcats to go 4-0 on the week and now are 26 and 6 on the season 20 games over 500 and 6 and 2 and in third place in the Big 10 it is now time for our Hoosier highlights Josh what a great week it's been a great season share with everyone your Hoosier highlights all right thanks Brian um i'm going to talk about the team's versatility uh, all week long uh, i'm i'm usually one to harp on chemistry and having the same guys at the same spots but uh this week it proved uh, it paid off what he's what Coach Lamonis has been doing, mixing guys up. Uh, we had 
four different guys playing third base, filling in for Luke while he's out injured. Uh, Cole Barr, Colby Stratton, Justin Walker, and Drew Ashley all played third base, and there wasn't a single error committed at third base, so that was really big. And then the offense of the middle infield, we had four different guys playing between short and second. Matt, uh, Justin, and Colby had time at, at uh, second base, and Houston played short all weekend. But offensively, those four guys, when they were playing second base, uh, they were 15 of 30 with 11 runs scored, 13 RBI, eight walks, uh, three doubles, a triple, two home runs, a sacrifice fly, and three stolen bases. So so the offense up the middle was was strong, and then the defense at the hot corner with our primary guy out was solid. And, and Josh, I will also add, I think the middle uh, infield defense with Walker at second and, and Houston at short, again, gives us the best chance to solidify things up the middle. And we had a solid week defensively. I gave up one early in game two uh, on a pickoff attempt, but – it was one of the better defensive efforts, and it's nice. So we've been talking all year long about solidifying that infield, and we have done that and picked up for one of our better players while he's out uh, with the boot on his leg. Uh, so a great, great um, highlight there. Carl, What what is your – who's your highlight for the week? Uh, great starting pitching in all four games. Uh, Heron and Beecham uh, each go five innings. Stever and Milto each go seven uh, the Hoosiers are now number two in the country in earn run average and run scored against. Uh, the, uh, the inning depth this week from the starters is great because we're going into a two-game midweek, and there are plenty of rested arms available to go. Uh, it also means the Hoosiers are prepared for the Big Ten tournament uh, and NCAA Rangels. These are both events that can really test a team's pitching depth, uh, and to get Five great starts in a row is just fantastic. I think uh, Jonathan Stevers' last two outings have been really dominant. And, and the last couple for Paulie, people in, at the rail have said, well, he doesn't have his best stuff. And yet he's only given up three runs over, I think, 13 or 14 innings. And then I, Carl, I think it's awesome, uh, awesome find that when our Sunday starters and our meter week starters go at least five, and our possibilities now to stretch out to six, that gives us a lot of flexibility with our great bullpen in the back end. Uh, the only concern with starters going long is you have some mid-level guys, if they're needed, uh, ha- have not been needed. We got B.J. Stable three innings. Uh, you got Sloan an appearance. And, and so you, you want to keep those guys fresh in case you need them. And this week we'll see what uh, that does. But our pitching has really started to uh, co- come on and a great find with the number two ERA. Cass, uh, your Hoosier highlight. Well, my unofficial Hoosier highlight was uh, catching the score. So I, I actually missed game two on Friday because I suddenly on Thursday night won the Hamilton lottery. So $10 tickets uh, that are normally over $600. So that was a, an opportunity I couldn't turn down and getting to intermission and saying, Oh, we came back and what? How did all of those runs in the eighth get inning? All of those with two outs? What happened? And so I was really excited to rewatch it. But something that that I noticed going through the stats was the number of walks that the Hoosiers worked, and the and just the deep counts uh, came into this weekend averaging just four walks a game, and worked 29 walks for an average of almost 10 a game. 
there were 12 full count walks. So working those pitches, uh, those pitch counts. And there were seven, seven walks that I called battle back walks where there were two strikes in the first three pitches and, and fighting back to, to get those walks. Um, also came into this weekend averaging a, about a hundred, seeing about 146 pitches on average. This weekend, that went up to 192, and that included seeing 226 pitches on Sunday, which is about two dozen more than they saw in the 13 inning marathon game against that other team in Indiana. Uh, this was also almost 100 more pitchers than the pitching st- pitches than the pitching staff threw on Sunday, and I don't know that I've ever seen that before some of this could be due to more plate appearances they averaged eight more plate appearances a game than the season coming into the weekend but the per plate appearance average was up as well for the weekend so so they did a great job of working those at bats and that's part of that developing that offensive mindset, that moving runners along. And, and short of maybe the first six innings of game two when we left a ton of runners on base, mm-hmm. it really seemed like we were doing some things a lot more efficiently offensively. Some of that's because it's Northwestern. But mm-hmm. that does put us in good position against the Ohio States and the Minnesotas on the road of playing uh, solid offensive baseball, not just waiting for, for the long ball. Chris, your Hoosier highlight of the week. Uh, I'd go with Matt Gorski, just four games and uh, of just, you want to talk about a toolbox? This guy's stealing bases, getting bunts down. Uh, I got it here, seven for 13, scored six runs, four RBIs, hit a bomb. The guy, he's really, I feel like he's quietly having an amazing season. How you quietly could hit 348, I don't know. But I feel like Gorski is doing that because it's just he can do everything. Like they say 5-2 player in scouting, but he really does. The guy... Plays a great left field. He's baseball smart. And to watch him shine basically all four games. I mean, he had something of all of those wins. And, and it's exciting to see as a sophomore. I mean, to be able to really count on a guy for that many different aspects of a ball game. Definitely a Hoosier highlight for me, Matt Gorski. Yeah, Matt Matt is so much fun to watch because of all of those things you mentioned. And he can do do everything to help your team win. And he displays that on a weekly basis. And it's nice too. Like he's in the big 10 play. He hadn't gotten a lot of hits, but he's there defensively. I love his arm in the outfield too. People aren't running on Gorski and that's nice to see my Hoosier highlight. Uh, there, there were several of these. Um, Drew Ashley had an at bat in that eighth inning. Uh, we had runners on second and third down two and he was Oh two. And there were a couple pitches that were really close and he had to check his swing, and, and luckily the, the men in blue made the right call that time. Uh, and, and he worked an 0-2 count to a 4-2 walk to load the bases to set up Jeremy Houston with the game-tying hit. And, and it's, a, it's not an at-bat. It'll register as, as a no at-bats and one run. I think he did come across to score later. But th- those are plays that are team plays. And, and we need those as well as we need the, the home runs and the, and the big hits. And then the other highlight, a couple other highlights for me is Jeremy Houston, now back over 200 batting average. I think I, I read something at 224, very close to that. On the face of it, it doesn't look like he's having a great year, but he was down in the 150s and had an outstanding week. And I, I just love the way he plays defense. It looks like he's playing better defense and more confident at short, and I think that solidifies our team defensively. 
and, and there's a comeback. And then the year comeback is Scotty Bradley after being injured and redshirting last year, just continues to rake and, and hit, um, hit the ball all over the place. And it's just so nice to see a kid like that who, who struggled and was a team player last year and giving up a season to, to get better, not have a great start to the season, but now it's hard to take him out of the lineup, right-handed, left-handed, you know, whoever's pitching. Uh, Scotty Bradley is a big part of that, uh, a, a big part of what we we're doing now. And the other thing is the IU offense erupts, and one of our best offensive players is injured and in a boot. And, and I really like the way we have covered offensively and defensively uh, for the injured Luke Miller. So that's my highlight. And it is now time for the most difficult thing ever when you score 40 runs and you hold a team to four and you beat an in-state rival and go 4-0 and are the number eight team in the nation. You've got to pick three limo hats. Chris, I do not envy your job this year, buddy. I'm not going to give you one problem. I am going to agree 100%, and then I'll just add to it with the cheese hats. So there you go. Good luck. Who are your limo hat award winners this week? Well, this week is absolutely the hardest week. Um, there's just so many. Uh, for each one, too. It's not like, okay, this one's really hard, but I know the other two. All three of these this week were real, real difficult and real, real close. Uh, we'll start with the defensive limo hat. Again, this one was real close, too. But Logan Sowers is going to get this one for hosing that guy out at the plate from right field. What a throw. Uh, I love seeing that. When outfield assists, they're special. They don't happen a lot. And to see him gun that kid down at the plate, real special. So Logan's going to get the defensive uh, player limo hat for this week. For pitcher of the week, we're going to go Paulie Milto. All right? This guy, three hits. Not one hit after one out in the third inning. He gave up a hit to the leadoff batter in the first inning. A guy came in to score. There was an error, whatever the case, unearned run. Second inning, uh, I believe he struck out the side. Third inning, he gives up back-to-back hits. They get their second run. He does not give up another hit the entire game. He goes seven. Uh, I think a couple guys might have gone on base, but if they went from hits, maybe a walk, whatever the case, maybe an error. But uh, seven innings. And we talked about it last week with that other team, the team near the Wabash River, when they would load the bases and not score and then take the field and the momentum would change. Or they would load the bases and only get one run. Well, Milto was facing that back to back to back to back. We kept leaving all those guys on. And what would Milto do? Get us right back in the dugout three batters later. No hits, nobody on. And eventually, it took a while, but eventually we had the beginning to, uh, to take the lead. Chris, I'm going to interrupt you there. I think sure. that, is, that is fantastic because we've had discussions at the tailgate when it's real tough, what impacts winning the most? And I think your selection of Pauly Milto, um, we had great efforts on the mound. Stever had a great effort on the mound. B.J. Sable with the save in the midweek. But yeah. Paulie's battling impacted winning because it kept us close, and we were able to come from behind, and that is not easy to do. And while the other pitchers had great efforts, we won twelve to nothing and twenty-two to one. <laughs> Paulie's effort really impacted winning, and that's what we're kind of trying to do a little bit with these awards when they're close. So Absolutely. that's tough, but good, but good call. Well, you know, sometimes you just have to find something to differentiate the, uh, the players. Now, this one, I love this one. I love that he has it. I love that he's back. He was one of my favorite players last year. Jeremy Houston gets the Offensive Player of the Week, Lima, uh, this week. I got a couple stats here. Eight for 15, six RBIs, three runs scored, two walks, a triple. And, of course, 
that two-out hit in the eighth inning to tie the game, he just has really come back from, I mean, straight up a benching, right? He's, he loses his job. He's sitting on the bench, and now he's back. He's got swagger in the field. Again, he didn't get to leave him half a defense, but he was certainly in the running. Uh, he's got that swagger back in the field. And I really think it shows a lot about the coaching staff because they are right on him, right? They're helping him. He's able to come right back from this confidence being low, possibly from not playing well. And that goes a lot to Lamonis, and that goes a lot to Cheese and the coaching staff. Now, if Houston can't come back, that's like, like if we lost him for the season, if this kid wasn't playing the way he was, I think that goes a lot to Lamonis because he has to be able to make sure he could bench a guy, let him sit down and watch, and then come back. You know, again, Lamonis' name has come up a lot lately in articles and stuff like that. D1 brought him up as far as coaches who need a raise. He needs an extension. You know what I'm saying? It has to happen. Uh, I think Jeremy Houston coming back from this particular situation is a perfect example of why we need coach back next year is his last year of his deal he can't start next year with that being his last uh uh you know year on his contract extend him you know what i'm saying make an offer pay the man his money and those are the week three limo hats uh we have offensive player of the week jeremy houston defensive player of the week logan sowers and pitcher of the week paulie milto you know one of my favorite things as a fan uh, as a coach myself, is to see the joy in a player when they finally break through after a slump. And you saw that with oh, with, yeah. with Jeremy even on, on Wednesday. But that fist pump um, <laughs> w- when he got the tying run, I mean, that, oh, yeah. that just is what sports is all about. Excellent limo uh, selections this week. Again, it, it had to be tough. So now we're gonna we're just we're not gonna complain one bit when we score forty to four, outscore <laughs> forty to four. We're just gonna add some cheese hats, and we'll start with Cass. Uh, what what is your who would you add um, cheese hat from this great weekend? Yeah. So the one that I picked out was Matt Lloyd because. I mean, you've got the home runs, which are always fantastic. But something that, uh, thanks to the suggestion of Steve Lloyd, his dad, uh, I looked back through a season and a half of scorecards and saw that Sunday was the first time he has laid down a sacrifice bunt. I don't, and I'm not even seeing anywhere necessarily where he's ever been asked to put down a sacrifice bunt and and he did it exceedingly well he he placed it where only the pitcher could make a play on it which he couldn't uh overthrew first base and and it worked perfectly well and so i wanted to give a little little shout out for that being a team player and, and you know he does a great job ordering wings at buffalo Louis too i've seen him in there a couple <laughs> friday nights that's a little free advertising there for Buffaloes. We haven't talked yet with our agent about how to properly get paid to mention people, but the dude gets a Louis dozen and, and you know, a lot of the baseball players go to Buffaloes. I think that's why they're having a great season because it's a, it's a great place to, to eat. So shout out to Matt. I agree. He loves hitting against Northwestern and it was coming off that epic performance last week against that other team and a big part of our winning ways. Josh, Honorable mention, cheese hats. Yeah, my cheese hat this week's going to go to Drew Ashley uh, for the 
the at bat you talked about earlier, um, and then also total for the weekend, he was four for eight uh, with two runs, two RBI, and three walks. So even though he's not getting his number called all the time, it, it's starting to pick up for that reason right there. But uh, he's he's ready to answer the bell. And then um, also we were up on the rail on, on Sunday, and there was a foul ball hit. Uh, over towards the uh, grill and uh, one bounce. And then I see this red and white tornado spin around and leap <laughs> and make a perfect one-handed catch of a ball. And I'm, what in the world is this? And uh, he immediately, I think before he hit the ground, he had handed the ball off to a kid. So it was all one beautiful, graceful motion. And that was his dad, Chad, with a, with a great defensive play. So I'm going to give my cheese hats this week to the Ashleys. You, you can see, you know, uh, where Drew gets it, uh, the toughness, the competitiveness. And Drew filled in at third base, right, um, and played some third base and got some action in the field, four for eight and an excellent at-bat that didn't didn't count. And we talk a oh, lot. It counted. In, it counted. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, officially zero yeah. as an at-bat. But if he strikes but out, the whole, inning, the whole inning doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And, and that's baby. something that, again, we, we don't see an awful lot in the box score, and we don't see a lot because the other guys get um, get that. But a foxhole test. We talk a lot about, in, in in my coaching, who would I want in my foxhole if I had to to go to battle? And I think Drew Ashley might be one of those guys that, you know, I think you'd, you'd like to have him guarding your back in a tough situation. So, And that's just from watching him compete in the batter's box. Uh, good. And Carl, your uh, honorable mention cheese hats. Well, I'm going to go off of a pattern that's been kind of going for the last few weeks, which is, uh, well, just this this weekend, as an example, this isn't who my cheese hat is because he got a limo hat, uh, but that, uh, uh, that Houston uh, did well against uh, the school from his hometown, uh, Chicago Northwestern. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Walker did very well against that team up north from where he's from. Um, I'm telling you, Indiana state just, uh, does not like Timmy Heron <laughs> and Timmy Heron gives them fits and he gives fits to his hometown team and five innings from Timmy Heron. Uh, and, and out of the four games from a, you know, from an offensive perspective, that was going to be the, the toughest game as far as the, the opposing offense goes of the week. And Timmy Heron went five innings. He only gave up two hits. Uh, he didn't get the win. Uh, but uh, he's uh, just like Paulie Milto did in, in his game. He set the game up for a win um, and eventually the Hoosier offense uh, kicked in. Um, and the, and that, that's a big game. Uh, the Indiana state game was a big game and uh, Timmy, Timmy made that happen. And uh, it's the second week in a row he's had an impact uh, against his hometown team. I really like the way Heron's throwing the ball. And like I said, I think he's ready to stretch out to an extra inning if needed. But that, again, as Carl, you said earlier, that sets up for the Big Ten tournament, having that depth where you got to play several games in a tight window and the baseball regional that, that our pitching will give us a chance to go as, as deep as, as possible. And that's, that's good to see. I, that's a good find there, Heron. I'm going to go B.J. Sable. Three innings, getting a save. I, Josh, he hasn't been scored on yet. I know you mentioned him last week. Uh, I don't think he's been scored on. Came in, and those three innings are good. Again, that's Indiana State, which probably offensively was the, it was the toughest team of the week and just shuts him down. I think defensively, um, Chris, you had a tough time. I think Houston had some good plays. Walker continues to make some plays, and he made a lot of routine plays at third that sometimes have been botched. Uh, and 
Scotty Bradley made a couple nice diving plays at first base. Those are the uh, two. Those are the two for me, Jeremy yeah. and, and Scotty, because Jeremy just having that swagger back. I mean, you could tell he's playing with that again. And Bradley made a nice, real nice play at first base. You know that swagger's – I love it because it, it's like he catches the ball and then he says, okay, I got you. And then he hesitates a little bit. kind of <laughs> makes me nervous. It's like, come on, Jeremy, get the ball over there and make sure we get the out. But he's, he yeah. is – you can see well, that, he's in that groove right now. Well, that one he got off that hit the mound was, was very impressive. Yeah, he um, – I, I tell you that I so happy for the young man and, and really happy for what the young man can provide the, the team as a whole. So, you know, and offensively, man, you can go down the list of multi-hit games and uh, who hit home runs and it, you know, everyone gets a cheese hat um, on the whole team uh, for their performance. So Carl, what does that impact us here for um, our, our postseason resume and our RPI? Okay. I'll start with our RPI. Uh, Playing Northwestern is not exactly a huge help to the strength of schedule, um, and that's why the real-time RPI has temporarily slipped a bit to number 26. Uh, The year-end model is sitting at around 22, which isn't a lot less than it was last week. Um, And and that year-end model is still based on fairly conservative win-loss predictions, which this team, I think, is capable of exceeding. Um, went lost, uh, fell slightly below 2017 levels again. Uh, the midweek went great, but the weekend was awful. Um, again, led by San Diego losing a series again. I'm probably just going to stop talking about them and just expect them to lose from now on. But uh, every team IU plays from now on, though, is close to or above 500 or well above 500. So if the Hoosiers can keep winning, real-time RPI will improve. Um, and the Hoosiers are still in a good position to play their own way into hosting level or a top 16 RPI. Um, now I'm going to shift over to the Big Ten conference race. Carl, before uh, you do, yeah. do, you, do you think the real-time RPI needs to be in the top 16 to get a host? Or do you think a low 20, a 19, with the idea that we are uh, one of the best teams in the Big Ten, if not the best team, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? It's a little tough. Um, there's a lot of things that will, I think, uh, that that'll depend upon. Um, I had been saying that you know that the that they're going to want a regional, they're going to want a northern host. Um, but UConn right now is number nine in the RPI, and I'm kind of afraid that UConn might uh, slip in as that other as that northern host, and they may not see as much of a need. Um, in the local area, probably the closest host is going to be Kentucky. Um, so I don't know that there's going to be a an argument to be made there, particularly if Indiana cannot does not win the Big Ten regular season title. And I I, I don't know how important that is. I, I don't I'm not in the minds of the committee, and quite frankly, even the national media is not in their minds when it comes to this. There's, that's a big big question up to the air. Does Indiana need to win the Big Ten regular season? which is difficult given that the run that Michigan is on right now. Yeah, I, I understand wholeheartedly what you're saying about winning the Big Ten, but I think if it came down to Michigan winning and beating us by a game or two and then looking at the, the whole resume, you know, from a bracketology standpoint, I use resume blows away Michigan's yes. uh, resume. And, and again, I, I find it hard to believe that if we get to 40 wins, which is 14 and 6, which is not – impossible and we're sitting at 40 and 12 and been ranked in the top 10 for four or five weeks i know the rankings don't mean anything 
but I think we'll at least be in consideration for a host um, down the road. So, all right, going back to Big Ten uh, yeah. predictions and yeah, currently in fourth place. Um, you know, as the old saying goes in the poker game of Big Ten baseball, weather is the rake. Uh, several games have been taken off the board, most notably Michigan and Maryland. Um, Michigan could be eleven and zero in the league after next week. Only having played two league games against teams better than 180 in the RPI. Soak that in. (laughs) Uh, It has been lopsided so far with the league's best teams beating up on the league's bottom, uh, which makes it hard to read much into the results right now. Um, The only exception so far is Iowa. Uh, The Hawkeyes are six six and four against a tough schedule. Uh, They split a game with IU base. Uh, They've taken a series against Illinois. Uh, outside of that, there really isn't enough information to separate the top teams at this point. Um, now, except for another cakewalk week for Michigan, because they have Penn State next week, uh, all of the Big Ten series next week are going to be competitive, and they could go either way. So we're actually going to have a really fun week in the conference next week. Uh, and I was actually listening to the D1 Baseball co- podcast earlier, and the one series from the Big Ten they mentioned was Indiana-Ohio State. Uh, actually, both uh, Fit and Rogers separately mentioned being very interested in the Indiana-Ohio State series. Um, while next week will help sort some of it out, I think it's really going to take two weeks to get a really good picture of the league. Um, because in that week... Michigan finally gets a test. They finally get to go out to Iowa. Um, And of course, Illinois is coming here to Bloomington. So I think that week may be the key week uh, for trying to get a real handle on the Big Ten uh, regular season. And we'll have a better idea about what this is going to be like at that point. Because right now, I I even went to my original prediction model and tried to kind of update it. And it doesn't work anymore. Because the assumption was that, that like in previous years, all the teams were going to be, you know, real close together. And right now there's a giant spread where you've got a team eight and no, and you've got two teams at one and 11. And, and then it's like each level back there. But the point is all the teams at the top are the ones beating the teams at the bottom. We need teams at the top to start playing each other and we'll get this figured out. I think that bodes well for us if we can keep winning. And unfortunately, even if we unfortunately lose when we're playing, you know, Ohio state, Illinois, Minnesota left on our schedule, that even a loss to one of those teams um, builds up our overall resume as opposed to playing Northwestern, Penn State, and some of those at the bottom. The key is, I think, is those teams that have traditionally been good, Nebraska and Maryland, can we go take care of business against them at the back end of the schedule? So, Carl, thanks for that. Uh, again, I think we're sitting in a, as good a position as we possibly can. Do you know offhand, Carl, where you had us at this point of the year uh, without the – I know the, the rainouts and that could throw a little wrinkle in, in that. Um, uh, the I don't have it right off the top of my head, um, but I would have to say – we're probably a little, just a tad bit ahead of that pace right now because that was kind of more based on just getting into the tournament. And right now, I have very, very few fears about regional qualification. We're really talking about hosting now, so I'd say the team is 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 ahead of that pace. Although the win total might be late, lost, might be less because almost all the games that got canceled, I was expecting to be wins. Yeah. So what have we lost? Three or four games. Yes, we've lost four. So, so we could be 30 and six, but I think most yeah. of us would not have predicted after 36 games to be 30 and six. Yeah. 
yeah, so, that, so, that was not that was not part of the calculations I had put. I, I try to keep that in perspective when I'm looking at Michigan running out with 16, 17 in a row and worrying about the Big Ten, worrying about hosting or whatever. Being 30 and six is darn good. And yeah. if it's not good enough to host, then to heck with the NCA. That's what I say. I mean, I think I, I, I have a good feeling. Uh, let's just keep winning and, and making a, a moot point. Cassie, uh, your thoughts on some key stats for uh, this week? Yeah, so one of the things I was interested in was seeing how Northwestern would run. Because I know we had mentioned this last week that they had stolen 58 bases, but that was in 72 attempts uh, for almost 81%, which is nuts. And that's an average of about two stolen bases in three attempts per game. So logically, you would think they would be right around six stolen bases on nine attempts in any given weekend. In reality, they were just three of seven on the weekend for about 43%. And one of those stolen bases came with, came between pitches with two outs. Um, so as far as true, true potential caught stealings were concerned, uh, there were only two of six, so 33%. And, and I do understand that, that with the, with catching runners, with preventing runners from stealing, it is much more than the catcher. It is the pitcher. It is the infielder. It, it is everybody, but the catcher does play such an instrumental role in that. And, to put it in perspective a little bit, I looked around the Big Ten, and Ryan is catching about 44% of the runners who attempt to steal on him. That's best for starting catchers in the Big Ten. The only one close to him is DeLisandro from that other in-state Big Ten school at 43%. He's right there with Ryan, which my eye test would have told you that yeah that's going to be those two are are the top of the league and here's where this this podcast is so good because Feeney brought up that they love to run and had great stats in the preview about how they run you're talking about how we caught them and the Dikembe Mutombo finger comes out for Uh do do not run on Feynman and Cassie here's what I think is really good is they didn't attempt to steal an awful lot now maybe that's because you're getting your butt kicked in 22 to 1 and you might you know you need to hit the 19 run home run but I think fewer runners on base yeah, it speaks volumes to what you're saying is that yeah. um, teams are putting in their scouting report to let's be careful running against these guys. Yeah, yeah. You know how they have and, that thing, fear of missing out? I think there's fear of Ryan Feynman. Yeah. I really <laughs> think there is well, because well, and, that changed their whole game plan. I saw oh, uh, yeah. Cassie's tweet. They changed the whole game plan over this kid. It's fear of Ryan Feynman. I think it yeah. is. Well, and, and to put his numbers in perspective a little more, Big Ten starting catchers, are catching on average 28% of those who run against them. Ryan's at 44 and five of those starting catchers are averaging less than a 25% caught stealing rate with Michigan state, the lowest at just 14%. So what Ryan's doing is absolutely fantastic. Yes, it is a team effort to, to prevent the runners from stealing, but Ryan has been phenomenal this okay, season here's and a not question. just this weekend. Here's a question for the round table. 
Does Cassie's stats on Ryan Feynman now change the way? Because we know everyone in the Big Ten watches this podcast for Cassie's stats. <laughs> uh, does this change the fact that now you know no one's going to even attempt to run, or should we give out some false statistics daring them to run into outs? I mean, this is well, a this, strategy session we might need to have. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, this, this was all on uh, Big Ten's conference <laughs> stats site. So this was not my, my – these were not my numbers anyway. Because there are some, like, that one stolen base between pitches isn't charged to Ryan's numbers. It's charged to the pitcher. And I don't mess with that. I don't ever get an official determination of any of those things. So I don't even try to guess. Um, but yeah, so I, I looked at that and then I was also interested in some of the statistics by month. And I should note that this is pretty unrelated to weather because early season we're in the South slash West coast tour when it's warm. And then March and April, we're back at home where it's cold. You would think it would be the opposite. February would be cold and you're gradually getting warmer. That's not the case. Um, but and I should also note that all of these stats from April are going to be very exaggerated from the butt kicking of Northwestern this weekend. Uh, so they'll probably the water will probably find its level over the next couple of weeks. But the team's averaging uh, four more runs a game in April than they were in February. Uh, on four and a half more hits, four and a half more walks, uh, one fewer strikeout per game. Uh, on the pitching defensive side, giving up one and a half fewer earned runs a game, which is pretty impressive because they were only giving up 2.71 earned runs a game in February. So that number didn't have that far to fall. They're striking out one more a game and uh, 0.3 fewer errors per game. That number is always going to be smaller because there are, fingers crossed, not many errors in a game. Um, some of the individual stuff, uh, we've seen this in years past where uh, Logan Sowers sees a shift in his walk and strikeout rate as the season goes on. Uh, so far in April, his walk rate, so walks per plate appearance, has more than tripled than it was compared to February, and his K, his strikeout rate has gone down six percentage points. In April, he's also seeing almost four and a half pitches per plate appearance, which is really high even for him. He's the highest on the team, and his is ridiculously high right now. Uh, and he took that about, one one where we all had a disagreement in the – Yes. Twitter DMs about whether it was a strike or not. So yes. that that's showing up in his patience. Yeah. Oh, we weren't yeah. the only ones that disagreed. No. No. And then we've talked about Scotty and Jeremy. They have both been ridiculously hot lately. Jeremy's hitting four forty four so far in April, uh, which is more than triple his February and March batting average. Uh He's batting batting 625 with runners in scoring position, uh, and he's been productive in 50% of his plate appearances this month. Scotty hit 444 in March and so far 450 in April. Um, he's walking in about a fifth of all of his plate appearances this month. Uh, his K rate, his strikeout rate is also 
down from the ridiculously high 45.5% in February to 13.8% in April. He didn't have that many February at-bats, so that's a little exaggerated. But uh, And he is also, having had such a slow start uh, playing time-wise in, in February into March, he is now just shy of my two plate appearances per game rule to have him included on my leaderboards. And he's just three plate appearances away uh, on a per game average. So he's he's getting much closer there. Uh, on the pitching side, Stever has improved drastically, which I test would have told us. His ERA is down from 7.59 in February to 1.20 so far in April. Uh, his walk rate this month is about a third of what it was in February. And he's actually throwing four fewer pitches per inning this month compared to February, which might not seem like a lot, but it can help extend his outings, which then helps the bullpen be more rested, which we've talked about. Uh, his opponent batting average with runners in scoring position has also been cut to about a third of what it was in February. Uh, some of the others, Pauly had a pretty rough March stretch, but he's rebounding really well so far in April. Uh, he's walking more batters than normal, but has a very solid .071 opponent batting average with runners in scoring position, which helps to balance that. Uh, we've talked about Timmy Heron. He's also improved over the last month. Uh, his strikeout rate has nearly tripled since February. Uh, BJ has been Mr. Consistent each month. He hasn't seen much variation. He's just been steady all along. Cal also had a little bit of a rough March statistically. He's also doing doing better so far in April. He is throwing more pitches per inning, but his opponent batting average and with runners in scoring position are both down so far. So it's, it's a little bit of a grab bag, but overall the team and individuals are consistently improving from February to April so far. And why that's a plus is because the weather actually has gotten worse. And when mm -hmm. the numbers get better, when you're facing bad weather, now the concern with those numbers is that we've played a couple teams that are in the bottom half yeah. of the big 10. We have played uh, a midweek against the Indiana state team here in April, uh, but I'm going to tend to be on the positive and say that it's a, it's an improvement. Hey, Josh, uh, what's your, yep. What's your story of the week? Yeah, this week for my story of the week, I'm just going to recap the 10-game homestand. Um, <clears throat> it, we, they were fairly dominant in these 10 games, 9-1. and one. Uh, It was We came into it sitting at 1-1 one and one in the conference, so it was a very important stretch. We're getting ready to go on the road for five of the next six, so um, to dominate the way they did was good to see. Um, came out five and one in the conference during those 10 games. So that ups us to six and two. And I think when we started, we were, I helped me someone out there. I think we were ninth, eighth or ninth in the big 10 standings. And then off of this homestand, we're now sitting in third. Um, and then in the five, we had five out of the 10 games where we scored 10 plus runs and then five games where we gave up one or zero runs. So we outscored our opponents four to one ratio for a ninety-eight to twenty-three total on runs scored. So it was in the ten games. So it was pretty dominant. 
Um, and then two quick little nuggets that I was given uh, Sunday, courtesy of Mark Gorski. Um, Matt scored a run in all 10 games. So he's got a 10 game streak of scoring a run. He scored 15 runs in those 10 games. And then uh, this weekend alone, we scored 18 runs in the eighth inning, 20 runs. If you count uh, Tuesday in the eighth inning alone. So uh, what that kind of tells you is when the game's on the line, it's time to put it away. Uh, or when we get to their bullpen, probably more of that than anything else. Uh, they, the guys step up, take charge, and finish it off. Yeah, it's it was a great homestand. I, again, I'll repeat some of the stuff that all of you have said. Uh, longer counts, getting on base, two-out hitting short of the, the five or six innings of game two of Northwestern. We had a lot of two-out hits. That got to be contagious. And then Sunday we executed, and we are asking people all the way up and down the lineup to bunt, which has been, for a lot of us, a, a simple play that had not been executed uh, been attempted a lot, had not been executed, and we're scoring runs. And I and hopefully that tre- trend will will continue to move in the right direction. Now, Chris Feeney will bring us a preview. We have five games this week, two midweek games, and, and three on the um, on the road in the Big Ten. So one home game and four games uh, away from home. Chris, who do we have? Okay, we got uh, Notre Dame's going to be played at Victory Field. They are from the ACC. They're currently 15 and 21, and they're four and five in neutral site games because obviously this is a neutral site uh, game with us and the Fighting Irish. They have three big wins on their schedule NC State, Clemson, and LSU, but they're all just one game wins and three game series is on the weekend. They're a completely different team on midweek. During the midweek, they have losses to Northern Iowa, Northwestern, and Michigan State. So obviously, they don't have the depth of the arms that we have, you know, they're not throwing at Tim Heron, I'm guessing <laughs> like we are tomorrow. So it should be good. Uh, their big bat is Eric Gilgenbach. He leads them in home runs and Matt Verling leads them in RBIs. Uh, last time we played them, we lost six, nothing at victory field. It was two years ago. Last year we beat ball state. Gorski hit the walk off. Um, as far as actually, I just want to bring something up. I was thinking about what we guys were talking the best player in this team hasn't even been mentioned once. And we're in like 45 minutes in, and that's Logan Kalitha. That's how deep this team is. <laughs> Superman I just wanted himself. to throw that out there. I just wanted to throw that out there. He's the <laughs> best player in his team. We haven't mentioned him once, uh, and it's 45 minutes in. Uh, that's how deep we are. That's how deep of a team this staff built. Uh, and for alumni for Notre Dame, the other Mike for Mike and Mike, Mike Golick. Uh, we had Mike Greenberg last time. We got Mike Golick this time. What do you think then, of the color rush tomorrow night? Are you a fan I, of that? First, or I was very of the upset. Sunday Reds. But here's the thing: I was very upset about it at first. I was tweeting out and everything, and then I remembered we already used them not on Sunday, so it's already too late. There's a Saturday so, game, right? Against right, Butler. We, correct. Yeah, and so until I remembered that, I was pretty upset about it because I was like, "What are we doing? We're going to throw off the baseball gods, and we're going to jinx it." But we already played them on a Saturday. When I did remember it, then I was okay with it. <laughs> so it's going to be red versus green uh, tomorrow night. And then we got Bull State on Wednesday. That's going to be at the BART. That's turn back the clock night. That's a fun night. Uh, we got our buddy Luke. He's going to be on the keys. He's going to be playing the organ. He's a real good guy. I've known him for, uh, for years now. Uh, and he does a real good job with that. Bull State's added a Mac. They're at an even 500, 17 and 17. But they're 10 and 8 on the road, so they're actually better away from uh, their home field. 
They just lost two out of three to Miami of Ohio, and they won't be playing on Tuesday. So we're going to have, you know, the extra game before we play them. Their big hitter is Jeff Rydell. Uh, he's hitting 342. He's got 10 doubles, two triples, and 23 RBIs. They also have a, a guy, Colin Brockhouse, six home runs, 25 uh, RBIs. And their, their alumni, David Letterman, he might show up at the bar. That would be cool. Him and his beard showing up. <laughs> Maybe he'll come sit on the hill or hang at the rail. You never know. Letterman could be there. Uh, finally, we got the series. Uh, I feel like we haven't been on the road in so long. But we have a road series out in Columbus, uh, Nick Swisher Field against Ohio State. They're 24-10. and 10. They're 9-2 and two at home, and they're 5-1 and one in the Big Ten. So this is going to be a fun series. Um, we'll see how we do taking the show on the road. Now, they are going to have a Tuesday and a Wednesday game also. So I like that. You know, we both are on the double midweek. They're going to have Miami of Ohio and Youngstown State. It uh, looks like they play Youngstown State all the time, like every year because it's so close. Uh, Miami of Ohio, I don't know much about them, but at least they're playing two games. <laughs> that I'm happy about. Uh, they're winning games this year. I know that. Who's this, Miami of Ohio? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So maybe, uh, maybe they'll give them a good run. And then they're coming off a sweep of Penn State, uh, and that was on the road. So that was in Happy Valley. So Ohio State's coming off that. Then they'll play the two midweeks, and then we'll play them Friday. Uh, let's see. Now, part of that sweep, they outscored Penn State 25-9. to But uh, the Sunday game, the score was 19-8. to So that was pretty much all the runs was on Sunday. Their big bat, Noah McGowan, seven home runs, 16 doubles, 43 RBIs, and he's hitting 396, and he's playing every day. So that's a real batting average. That's not like, you know, I don't have a lot of at-bats. They also have Connor Powell. He's got five home runs and 33 RBIs. Something I looked at with their pitching, their Friday night guy, Connor Curlis, he's 5-1 and one with a 2.92 ERA, and they have Seth Kinker. He seems to be a uh, Andrew Miller type that they go to a lot. Just about, not just about every, but a lot of the Friday starts. This guy Curlis goes like six or six and two thirds, and then Kinker goes the rest of the way. Uh, He's four and one Kinker with eight saves, and uh, he's gone three innings more than a few times. So they're going to go to him early if they have a lead. He has only 15 appearances, but he has over 30 innings. So... You know, they shut down some games when they have leads and, the, and they're not going to wait till the ninth inning to put this guy in. They're going to put him in two outs in the sixth, an out in the seventh, and then just let him roll. And then he's not done for the weekend because I looked at a bunch of their weekends. He comes back on Sunday and throws two innings. So it's not like you're only going to see this kid on Friday if he has to come in. So it would definitely, uh, I think, be good for us to have some late leads. Um, we've come back on a lot of bullpens this year. And maybe we don't want to have to count on that out in Columbus. Let's uh, let's try to you know get the bats going, get out early, and um, you know again this team is deep. I brought it up before we started talking about this. We didn't even mention Kalita the whole podcast. He started the Saturday game, the, the second game with a home run, and he drove in the game-winning runs of that game. You know what I mean? With two outs, and we don't even have to mention him because there's so many other people to talk about because this team has been built so well. Oh, and he's a Juco, so they had to go and find him. People didn't even know who he was. Coaching staff, right. That must mean we have a good coaching staff. <laughs> uh, for the alumni for Ohio State, um, 
he won't be there, you know, rest in peace, Mr. George Steinbrenner. And I, I know, I think they addressed Steinbrenner year three of law school, if I'm right. Yeah. I'm not sure. I believe that's what it is. Year three. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they cover that at, at, at our law school. Yeah. A year three. Okay. Yeah. yeah year three. Um, year three of law school. And uh, two other alums that actually could be there, uh, Bob Knight. Uh, I know there's some different opinions on him, but he could be there. And the comedian Richard Lewis. Now, he I'd love to sit down with. Uh, not that I'm going to the games, but if I was, uh, Richard Lewis is a uh, Buckeye alumni. So that's your, that's your five games. Try to keep it short. That's, I think that's the first five-game week we're going to have, or at least <laughs> that we might actually play. I think we had a couple that ended up being canceled a few games. But, uh, hey. Let's hope these all get played. Yeah, Chris, since it's not at IU, Knight might show up. that's true true. hey it's a big week for uh indiana baseball the two midweeks uh it's be a good time uh on on tuesday night at uh victory field looking forward to seeing everyone there uh and then a big test at ohio state uh you know i think they're a pretty good traditionally have been a pretty good ball club and 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 we'll see if that depth does play uh pay off with the series win so let's go to our final thoughts on the week it's been a fun week Cassie, what are you thinking about here to end the show? Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking we're probably not going to outscore a weekend opponent forty to four very often. Uh, that's both the level of the opponent and the quality of the Hoosiers. Uh, but both the offense and pitching are really starting to heat up at the right time, and having some of these games and series before facing the other big boys in the conference could be really helpful for building more momentum. Even things like getting Jeremy back on track, being able to sit him during some of these stretches uh, to give him this little jump start could be huge. And again, it's a time when, when we're not missing Luke Miller quite as much because we haven't really needed to miss him. So getting everybody healthy and and having some of this momentum from putting up 40 runs in three games, uh, that could be big going into a pretty tough stretch. Carl, your final thoughts for the week? Uh, I'm just ready and happy to get past the opportunities for bad losses. Uh, The Hoosiers (laughs) have done a great job of not letting those opportunities blossom. Um, but I'm ready to get past the opportunities, the, the, you know, late innings against, uh, Pacific and Northwestern and North and Northern Illinois and get to the opportunities for the Hoosiers to show how good they really are. Um, the next three weekend series in the big 10, uh, and the final two midweeks against the Kentucky schools are a big chance to do just that. And I'm very excited for that. And Josh, uh, Carl and Cass both read my mind. Uh, hopefully, we can ride the momentum of what we've done this last week uh, into the next five of six games away from uh, the BART. And then with the schedule picking up, we're going to be playing good teams. And uh, we only had two errors in these last four games and great bunting from a lot of different guys, sack flies up and down the lineup. The pitching only gave up four earned runs in four games. Um, so we're starting to look like a top 10 team and and now hopefully we can, when we're tested here coming up, uh, we can pull through and, and st- still look like it. And Chris Feeney, your final thoughts for the week. Bart Kaufman Field, uh, Friday night, game two. From the minute Kalitha started that game with the home run to the minute Matt Lloyd hit the uh, line drive to drive Kalitha in uh, for the sixth run, that place had a pulse. 
okay? Whether it was out in the hill, whether it was in the hill or in the home run area, whether it was in the seating. I was there with my daughter. I was walking around a lot that day. It had a heartbeat, and it was great to see. Uh, we we uh, had 2,500 people there, only 800 away from the all-time regular season record, which was uh, about 3,300 in 2014. I really think we could break that this year. Um, you know, hopefully we get, you know, 800. We can easily get 800 people there. It's the top 10 team in the country. Um, place was alive, and I loved it. And I, you know, again, I'll go in the cold, in the rain, and there's 22 people there. I don't care. But I love when it's packed like that, and uh, definitely a, a fun night. And this team needs some warm weather. Uh, we have eight games left at the bar. It doesn't seem uh, even right. It just seems like the season started uh, just the other day. But the weather has been atrocious, and this team des- deserves some warm weather uh, so that uh, they could play at the bar and have crowds like that all the time. Uh, we're heading on the road. Uh, it'll be a big uh, weekend series to be watching uh, to see how the Hoosiers do. Uh, hopefully they can get a couple midweeks. Uh, I would also encourage uh, – we lost the tailgate this week due to the weather. But also, if you're at the BART, one of these last eight games, come up to the third base, the rail, introduce yourself. Um, there's some great people who stand back there. Uh, there's some great parents who have some superstitions of uh, holding stuff and, and special spots for the scoring spots. And it's just it adds to the, the atmosphere as well as the rest of the park. Uh, I agree with Chris. There's really not a, a, a bad spot at the BART. So this team is really playing well. It is improving. It is taking care of business when they have to. And now it's coming down to crunch time here in the last five weeks. And I really believe that they're headed in a good direction. So that'll do it for this week's Talking Hoosier Baseball. Please find all future podcasts on Sports Talk with Tom Sony, which can be found on your favorite podcast source, as well as under the Talking Hoosier Baseball tab on iubase.com. And please follow iubase.com on Twitter. Handle is at iubase seventeen. And talking Hoosier baseball, whose handle is at CU at the BART, and visit iubase.com to see other articles and other posts from this excellent group of Indiana Hoosier baseball fans. So for this group, I'm Brian Tonsoni. Go Hoosiers, and see you at the BART.